Hey folks, before we get started here, uh, I want you to take a minute and check out our main page, thefedorachronicles.com, and I want you to check out our incredible sponsors, Trinity Whip Company, Landry Artifacts, and Chester Cordite. These people provide incredible products and incredible services that um, just have to be seen to believe, and they have been gracious and generous enough to help support the fedora chronicles radio show and all the other things that we do so please be sure to do yourself and them a favor and check them out this is the fedora chronicles network this is episode 71 of the fedora chronicles radio show and a co-production with the diesel punk podcast John Pica, Larry Amnett, Daisy O'Dare, and I, Eric Renderkingfist, discuss pop culture news in the realm of diesel punk and jazz era style this month, including Professor Marsden and the Wonder Women, the remake of Murder on the Orient Express, and the comic book Tommy Gun Dolls. Hang on to your fedoras. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hey there, all you guys and gals, all you hepcats, cool kittens, you diesel-powered disciples of cool. This is the Diesel Punk Podcast, the voice of Diesel Punk, and this is your Diesel Punk Roundtable with myself, your host, the artist also known as Big Daddy Cool. You can call me Johnny, and joining us once again, it seems like a lifetime ago that he was with us, but the uh, the professor, the Diesel Pope, straight from the Dallas-Fort Worth compound, Mr. Larry Emyet. Hi, Johnny. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back. It is great to have you back. And joining us also via the magic of the interwebs from Memphis, Tennessee, that darling, daring damsel of the skies, Daisy O'Dare. What's buzzing, cousin? I got to tell you, I am so glad to be back with you fine fellas tonight. Well, we are glad to have you with us. And uh, joining me once again is uh, the uh, creator of the Fedora Chronicles all the way from New Hampshire, my friend and yours, Mr. Eric Fisk. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called diesel punk. An electric word, life that means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. Podcasting. <laughs> Amen, brother. Beautiful. Te- testify. Can I have a witness from the congregation? I'm with you. Amen. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. So. <laughs> well, um. Well, guys, we uh, we are back with the uh, Diesel Punk in Pop Culture Roundtable, and it's it's been a while. It, well, it probably feels longer than it has been. It's only a month. Um, it's only been a month. I, I know, I know. And in that month, though, Eric, you and I have been super busy. Um, you know, I, I told uh, Larry and Daisy uh, a couple of weeks ago that that you and I had uh, decided to start doing every Tuesday night. Um, so 
we've done shorter uh, uh, podcasts. We've had some interviews. Tony Snipes was on, and that uh, that uh, episode went live last week. We've uh, got a great discussion coming up uh, on the uh, the podcast. Uh, you know, probably as you're listening to this, you're listening to uh, last week's episode, and and so Daisy and Larry, you guys are always, always, always welcome to just dial in on Tuesday nights. We don't have to have a formal roundtable for you guys to uh, to join in. Uh, you know, Larry, you're one of the founders of this thing, so uh, you know the door is always open. You don't even have to knock, my brother. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. So we got some cool stuff going on in in the world of pop culture for diesel punks, and um, a lot of discussion has been going on around uh, the the forum at Diesel Punks on Facebook about uh, about what's it going to take to uh, push diesel punk forward as a genre, and you know I think Eric, more and more people are starting to. Kind of come around to my thinking and, and, and our thinking, you know, I, I keep saying we need a Hollywood studio to actually use the word diesel punk in their marketing. But I don't know if you noticed, but some of our some of our forum members have actually suggested something that you and I and Larry and Daisy have talked about before, and that is engaging the people who are already doing diesel punk but don't know that they're doing diesel punk. Yeah, exactly. I.e. the historical reenactors. Yes, yes. I think the thing, um, and this has always gotten me into so much trouble in the past, whereas it's like I really sort of have a wide open arms, open door policy when it comes to diesel punk. If you are really into the 1930s and 40s jazz era aesthetic, and you want to call yourself a diesel punk, you're a diesel punk. This is, we, there's no elitism here. We do not have this sort of notion, whereas we need to check all the boxes and we need to check your blood and we need to check your ancestry and see and, and, and everything that you've done in the past. And we're, and we're not going to like interview everybody that you went to high school and college with to make sure that you're a diesel punk. It's like, it's sort of like this. It's like if you want to call yourself a member of specific religion, you don't have to wait for us to baptize you. The fact that you want to be a member of our society, you're more than welcome to. And I think that that's something that, that really sort of freaks people out because the thing is that it's like, oh, my God, they're so welcoming and friendly. Oh, my God. They, they must they must want my kidneys and put my body in a in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a bathtub full of ice or something like that. And that's not the case. And. If you want to be a decent wait, punk, wait a minute. I I thought that was a typical Friday night at your house. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> let's not talk about the time you and I went to the bus stations looking for runaways. But no. <laughs> <laughs> now, see that laugh from Larry sounds like he's entertained that notion once or twice. <laughs> I, I no think, comment. I, th- I think that I think that we should just dress up in our World War II era uniform and attire, or or our Elliot Ness um, uniforms, and dress like mobsters from the 30s and 40s, and hang out at airports saying, "Have you heard the gospel of John and Eric?" <laughs> no, I mean it's like it, I think it it does throw people off because the thing is is that we we want everybody who calls themselves diesel punk 
to join us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, you, you made me think of something, and now I completely forgot it. But the, I, it'll come back to me later on, I guess. But, um, you know, you know, speaking of being a diesel punk and loving diesel-y stuff, Larry, you recently published a, uh, a great review of, you know, I, I guess it would be considered – some uh, diesel foundation material in that you uh, saw the documentary on um, Marsden, Marston and the Wonder Women. No, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Oh, oh. It wasn't a review. It was uh, more of a FYI out here. So, I'll, no, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I thought well, you then, had. I wrote I, my notes like you had. Yeah, when when no. I read when I read your overview, I thought you had seen it. But tell no. us all about it. It is on Netflix, I believe. Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. That's in theaters now. It's in the theaters, Johnny. Um, I think Johnny. It is big time I, major motion picture. Wait, and wait a minute, you guys, you guys forget. I'm a time traveler. <laughs> it, it okay. Was, okay. It, it, it was it was on Netflix uh, nine months nine <laughs> in months your past now. in your past yeah. right. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman uh, is a recent film that came out. Uh, I believe it was released uh, just a few weeks ago. If I look looking at my notes right. Uh, let's see, it was released back, uh, uh, oh, uh, just October 13th. So we're looking at just about a week ago it got released. Uh, it's getting, well, let's see, uh, on reviews, it has an 88% freshness on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so it's getting some pretty good reviews. I don't think it's a smash hit. I haven't looked at the dollars as to what it's bringing in in the box office. Um, I understand that, um, Daisy, I understand you have some interesting uh, information about some uh, reactions to the movie. Yes, actually, I was uh, poking around on the Internet Movie Database because I had seen some Internet comments about an article about the movie hinting at this, and uh, William Marston's granddaughter, Chrissy Marston, she has publicly stated that her family completely rejects any claims made in the film and in no way supports this work of fiction. Hmm. That's what she's had to say about it. And even though even though it's being promoted as the true story of William mm -hmm. Marston, Elizabeth Marston, and Olive Byrne, a lot of the film, it's they're saying a lot of the film is speculative because they did live their lives kind of privately. Um, the director, Angela Robinson, was asked about it at New York Comic Con, and she said, you know, there's a lot of facts that are indisputable about them, but she also feels there's a lot open to interpretation. So as a filmmaker, this was her interpretation of their story. So basically, mm. Johnny, uh, it's not a documentary like you were hoping. Yeah. So to kind of catch sorry. our listeners up, um, um, Professor Marston was the creator of the iconic DC Comics superhero character, Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And 
for all accounts throughout, I mean, throughout uh, the life of the character, it's always been, um, you know, told that Wonder Woman was inspired by the two women of his life, his wife and their uh, significant other, Olive, um, and that uh, Wonder Woman was an amalgamation of the two characters. So that uh, that's kind of our diesel punk connection there. Um, he created Wonder Woman back, uh, you know, at the uh, height of uh, height of World War Two. Now, interesting. Now, one has to wonder, and I think when what I've read about accuracy and inaccuracy. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of it that they took liberty with, but but mostly about his career more than anything. Um, but the relationship between Elizabeth and Olive, according to the uh, man that wrote Wonder Woman: Bondage and Feminism in the Marston Peter Comics, Noah Brolatsky, I think it's pronounced of his last name. Y'all know how I butcher names. Uh, Noah Belaski, uh, he wrote an article for the website The Verge about the movie, saying that while the details about Marston's career are really very speculative, the relationship between Elizabeth and Olive, he said that there's substantial uh, support about uh, them uh, being... uh, in a bisexual relationship, that was a very much a polyamorous three-way relationship between the three of them. Um, so interesting. Um, I wish I, I wish I had seen it yet. I haven't. I'd like to. No, I haven't seen it yet either. I'd like to give it a look and then reread the secret history of Wonder Woman to see uh, to see exactly how how close or how far off the mark they got. Which I had read that book last year, but a lot of that isn't fresh in my mind because it's a pretty long one. So I'll have to give it another read after watching this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, you know what? I might make that one of my weekend movies. I've, I've got a, a weekend movie jaunt coming up and uh, going to go see the new Blade Runner. Mm. And, um, Thank God. And, and and maybe I'll catch uh, Professor Marsden because I just took the dive and I signed up for Movie Pass. You know, have you guys heard about this service? Mm, sounds familiar, but no. Is All right. that I, I the um, details. is that so, the film service that's kind of like Netflix for movies? No. Well, oh, kind okay. of. Netflix for theater movies. There you go. Daisy's heard. Yes. She's already a member. Yeah. So, so this is not a paid endorsement. They are not a sponsor. I'm just like in love with this service. Um, You pay $9.99 a month and Larry unlimited movies in the theater. Mm. As many movies as you want to go see. uh, the, The only restriction is you can only go to one per day. And it can't be the same movie twice. Did you say $9.99 a month? Yeah. Yeah. You're hard-pressed to buy a ticket. I know. One ticket for $9.99. 
That's right. So, so the whole the whole idea of the model is that the theaters make it up in volume because where they make their profit mm-hmm. is on the concessions. They, they, there's there's very little profit margin in the actual tickets. So, the idea is you're gonna you're gonna pull more people into the theater. People who normally would only go see one or two movies a year are now going to be you know five or six movies a year. Mm-hmm. And you know the people who are like me who are maybe two or three movies a month, uh, we might now be four or five movies a month. And so the uh, the concession profits, uh, you know, more than make up for the uh, for the loss leader on the ticket. And actually, you know, they've done the actuarials. They've run the numbers. Uh, the theaters are making a profit by participating. So, and um, and uh, Eric, when we talked about this last week, I was actually wrong. I I had heard that AMC had decided not to participate, but uh, according to the website uh, at MoviePass today, AMC is a participating chain. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's that's yeah. that's incredible. That's a game changer for me. That I think yeah. I think that um, that's one of those things where it's like if you review movies like I do for Flicks to hold you over on the Fedora Chronicles, it's that's that's a, that's a no brainer. And that means that because I have weird shifts um, working two jobs, I would like to be able to believe that I can go see a movie at any weird time of the day or night go there when I'm not trolling the, the local bus stops for runaways and and uh, be able to <laughs> pick up, you know, go see, go watch a movie or something like that. And it was just like to break up the monotony because, but I mean, for me, it's an, ex, it, it's just, why haven't they done this sooner? I don't understand. Well, you know, I think it took the real success of, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and uh, you know the recent uh, release of uh, Filmstruck uh, to really get people to think outside the box because you know Hollywood for a long time has just like just like the traditional music industry you know when Napster came along and you know later a more legitimate platform in iTunes um you know the, the the music industry was in a panic. They wanted to shut down digital distribution, at you know however they could. And of course, at the end of the day, um, you know Metallica lost on that one. You remember they were the oh, ones yeah, that yeah. brought the lawsuit, and you know they they won the day, but they lost the battle against digital distribution. And I was an A and R director for Nashville record label at the time, and I remember the absolute panic in our offices by people who didn't understand the, the changing tide. And, and when Prince, you remember Prince was the first artist to release a new album exclusively on digital. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that changed the entire landscape. Um, and, and so now the main form of distribution is digital uh, however, a good thing came out of that. The, the, the good thing that came out of that was people have figured out that 
okay, yeah, I can consume it digitally, but I don't really own it. And especially with iTunes user agreement, um, if if you use iTunes Match, for example, and um, there's a an album release that is removed from the iTunes store, the next time your account syncs with iTunes, that album is removed from your library. So, you know, pe- people are figuring out that you don't really own the product when you download it digitally. You can enjoy it. It's it's you know, fun to have on your iPod or your iPhone or, you know, your mobile device. But if you want to really own it, you you want to buy the product. So the end result is that we've seen actually an increase in hard product sales, primarily at live shows. Yeah. Uh, when people go see a live concert, they want to take a piece of the concert with them. And so they, they buy the product. But the biggest, the biggest thing that came out of the digital music revolution was the resurgence of vinyl. Who would have thought that iTunes would lead to more people wanting to own and listen to music on vinyl again? You go into you know Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, you know any of the uh, major music retailers now they've got a huge section on uh, of vinyl records and it's been a huge resurgence and i think that netflix and hulu have ultimately probably had a similar effect on hollywood in that yes you can consume anything you want instantly stream it instantly but the more digital we become as a society the more the more desire there is for the real life experience, for the high touch. And so I, I think what will ultimately happen as this movie pass idea catches on and we swing back the other way is that we're going to see more people flocking to the theaters for that movie theater experience. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, Eric, but I hate, I absolutely hate watching movies and TVs at, at, at home. Um, you know, there are distractions, there's there, the dogs running around, the kids, you know, my wife asking a million questions. Well, why did he do that? You know, oh, I got to get up and get more popcorn or, yeah, exactly. you know, exactly. stop touching me. You stop touching me. You, don't have, <laughs> you know, you don't have that in the movie theater. And, and, and one of my profound pleasures is going to the movie theater, like either in the middle of the afternoon or really late at night on a weeknight. Right. When, and and being the only person in the entire theater. That's how I saw Dunkirk. And it was it was such a incredible experience being in the theater and they're showing the they're showing it just for me. And it was like I mean I, I and I didn't Dunkirk was not as good as it could have been or should have been because of the nonlinear storytelling, which we talked about in last week's episode. But it was just such a beautiful movie-going experience with the widescreen and the perfect sound, and nobody asking me a ton of questions like, could you let the dog out? Could you let Abby out so she can pee? Now could you let Daisy out so she can pee too? Can you feed the dogs? Do we feed the dogs? Who's going to unload the dishwasher? None of that. None of that at the theater. 
hey, someone's at the door. Oh, honey, it's the Mormons. You know, <laughs> you know and it was, uh, you know, hey, honey, the sheriff's office here wants to know, have you been by the bus station again this week? You know, that kind of thing. You know, and I, I think that you really miss something when, um, and I, I, I love and appreciate being able to watch um, a movie in the comfort of my own home, so long as it's like one of my comfort films. The perfect example is that this weekend I had a horrible cold. I don't know if you can still hear it or not. I had this horrible cold. And all I wanted to do was just veg out in front of the couch and watch Miller's Crossing. And Miller's Crossing is like one of those things where it's like it's it's comfort food for the eyes and the ears for me because it's it's a perfect film noir or neo noir as it were. Um, there's there's something about just being at home watching a movie that you really love. Um, but the thing is, is that when you watch it the first time, you really don't want that distraction, and you want the the communal experience i think it's like you laugh harder in a room full of strangers watching a movie for the first time like a comedy or like you cry really hard when you're in a room full of strangers in the dark watching a movie i don't think you really get that experience i i I don't think the empire strikes back or raiders of the lost ark would have been as awesome as as it is if i saw it at home for the for the very first time, surrounded by bright lights from coming from the kitchen and and the kids running around and whatnot, I it's I think that theaters should never die. Theaters should be maintained and loved and cherished. Is if you're a moviegoer, if you're an agnostic moviegoer, it that's your church, as it were, and. The idea of theaters going out of business is a travesty because it's really the only culture we have in the in the United States. Well, it, I mean, it it is it is definitely one of the uh, definitely one of the the biggest cultural events. I mean, live theater is is still you know very much alive, but uh, for the masses, I mean, let's let's be honest. And I, I did this study years ago. Um, Less than one percent of uh, the population are regular live theater live show goers. That means that, on average, the average person goes to see a live Broadway musical or ballet or opera or a play or a symphony performance or even a big, um, you know, major touring artist concert less than once in their entire lifetime that that's on average they just don't the average person just doesn't go to live theater so the fallback the default is is the movie theater and um and i think this this movie pass thing could really revolutionize the movie going experience for a lot of people speaking make it a lot easier yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it, Daisy. You, you don't. You're paying ten bucks a month. You don't have to say, "Okay, can I afford to go to the movies this week, or do I need to wait until next week?" Oh, wait. well, I better go to the movies to use that membership. Well, well, yeah. I mean, if you're like me, you're going to go to the movies at least once a month anyway. Um, so, and here in Nashville, movies are you know, ten ten to eleven bucks a ticket. A friend of mine who lives in New York City, it's 17 bucks a ticket. 
So, you know, when just by having the membership to Movie Pass, he saves seven bucks a month if he does only one movie. He's he's making money. That's crazy when you think about that, right? Um, so anyway, I'm a big believer in that product, and I I really really love it. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to use it to see the new Blade Runner. Um, Larry, have you seen the Blade Runner sequel yet? I haven't been to a movie in a real long time, so unfortunately not. Well, that that is a shame. I think, uh, Daisy, have you seen it yet, Blade Runner? No, I haven't. Yeah, so I think uh, out of our group, Eric is the only one who's seen it. Um, Eric highly recommended it. Um, But it's a shame, Eric, because it, it still just has not performed in the box office and um, it's it's really a shame because uh, you know from your lips it was a beautiful film and, and a worthy successor to the original. I think that it's an important movie to see now, especially as we're quickly approaching Halloween because um, so many science fiction movies out there today is really nothing more than trying to retell and recap and maybe even top Mary Shelley's original um, uh, Frankenstein and this movie does a great job saying exactly what Mary Shelley was trying to say but it does it right in your face you should not be playing God with life bringing life into the world and not taking responsibility for it you should not be creating brand new life that has never been seen before in the history of the planet Earth, as far as we know, and then create making it into a slave race or experiment on it or make it do the kind of dirty jobs or whatever. Whether you want to believe it or not, those are those are children, essentially. They may be fully grown, fully formed with with memories. Um, that have been implanted, but they're still children. And you wouldn't take a toddler or an infant and, and, and give it a gun and say, yeah, go shoot those aliens over there or anything like that. And this movie is really so blatant about this is what you, when you create life, this is what you have to do. And if you don't, these are the consequences. And it is, I think that it is, it is such an important movie to see with everything that's going on in the world of genetics and bioengineering and all like that, it's sort of like, look, if you're a college student and you're and you're thinking about creating life in a laboratory, this is a movie that you really should see. And it picks up 30 years after the original Blade Runner, which I told John, John doesn't agree with me, I understand he's still wrong, but I still love him, he's a brother. The original... Blade Runner was a perfect movie for me. It was like it came at the perfect time in my life, and it's it's one of, it's again it's one of those comfort movies. But this has such an important message, and it's not one that I really think that we should ignore. It also talks about what we're doing to the planet. It talks about what we're doing to ourselves. Can you really love a hologram? Can you really love an android? Um, it's those kind of questions. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to love? It's another one of those. It's I'm, and I'm telling you, it's 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 Doctor Shivago with androids and holograms and flying cars. But I mean that in only the best way. Um, 
it, it, I think you got to see it. And it's like, and I think that everybody will eventually see it in the comfort of their own home. But I think they're missing the widescreen, big screen, um, IMAX experience, as I like to call it sometimes. You, you have to see it on the big screen to get all the nuances. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, we keep talking about Hollywood and and Hollywood's relationship to diesel punk. And, um, you know, I, I keep telling people, and I, I firmly believe this, that as a, as a film and story aesthetic, the diesel punk aesthetic is the far more popular and prevalent, you know, uh, if you want to call it not historical, but you know, well, I guess it would be historical aesthetic, but I mean, you think about all of the movies that are coming out or have come out recently that fit our genre, you know, they're, they're contemporary in origin. They, they have the aesthetics of the era, the decadence as, as we call it. And they have some element of punk be that, you know, the sci-fi fantasy alternate history, uh, celebration of the anti-hero, etc. Um, and and there are a couple of movies coming out. You know, Blade Runner. This Blade Runner twenty forty nine is out. But uh, coming up, Larry, you you had brought up Murder on the Orient Express. This is one I'm super excited about. Oh, I am too. Um, it's an it's a remake of a remake. You know, of the great. Agatha Christie novel by that name that was published back in 1934. Uh, this new movie is directed by the great Kenneth Brognog, and he stars as Brognog. Hugh... Is it Brognog or Brog... Brognog? Brana. Is it Brognog? Yeah, yeah. Really? I... Yeah, Brana. I've never heard it pronounced. Okay. I, I think a lot yeah. of us have been saying it wrong for years, Larry. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, Branagh, um, he plays Hercule Poirot. Uh, but the list of names with him: Penelope Cruz, William Defoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Josh Gad, Derek Jacoby, Leslie Odom Jr., Michelle Pfeiffer. Daisy Riddler, Ridley. I oh mean, boy. wow. Hmm. I just said, oh boy, that is quite a cast. <laughs> what a cast. Uh, I agree, Daisy. Um, and you know, William Defoe has a diesel punk connection because he was in the diesel punk uh, horror film uh, Shadow of a Vampire. Um, uh, so he. Yet, so there's a diesel punk connection with him. Well, uh, hmm? I've I've always maintained that Johnny Depp is one of us. Oh yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Ab, without yeah, a doubt. When, yeah, when you look at his personal style and the and the just the film films he's chosen to be a part of, I mean, it, it, I I think he is a diesel punk. I, I do oh, want to I, interject here really quickly. I don't mean to interrupt you, Larry, but I think yeah. another one of those most misunderstood or or, or um, underappreciated movies of of in the last ten years is the one with uh, Christian Bale and Johnny Depp, Public Enemies, 
it's oh it's it's i'm telling you it's one of those movies where it's like, that's a great movie it's i mean it is long and it is brutal but the thing is that it was just like it is it's such a great retro centric diesel punk mm-hmm. experience and it does border on being diesel punk in my opinion because it raises the questions of you know it's really the anti-hero uh dillinger in some sense is kind of portrayed as the anti-hero it kind of does what um bonnie and clyde was back in the 70s where uh who are they really the bad guys um so hey, another 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 uh, you, you know you mentioned it's uh, starring and directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, Kenneth Branagh has has done a lot of Diesel era period pieces as well. Um, yes, sw- uh, Swing Kids I think was the first thing I ever saw him in. Um, just recently he was in Dunkirk, um, and uh, so he's you know. He's got a pretty long history with this this genre and these aesthetics as well. Oh, and I forgot he did make a diesel punk movie. He made a uh, Love Labor's Loss because, you know, he does a lot of uh, – he started out as a Shakespearean actor. But it was set as a musical in the 1930s. I've never seen this. Yeah, it's one of the – it's one of the – you just don't see it very often. But uh, yes, it was a. I saw it once on TV. Um, it's set in the 1930s, specifically 1939, right at the outbreak of war, and it's done like an old Hollywood musical, with singing and dancing and so forth. Um, so I'm, I'm. So I've always considered it to be uh, a diesel punk movie because of that. Wow, uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to find that that one. I'm I'm a huge fan of Kenneth Branagh. He uh, he's one of my favorite actors, and uh, to see him play, I am probably the world's greatest detective. <laughs> I'm super excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the movie, um, and you know, so we can only hope that it has. Uh, it has good success at the box office. I understand it's coming out in the U.S. and in Canada in November. I believe it's November 10th is the last right. thing I saw. Okay, And it's a 20th, 20th Century Fox film. So, exciting stuff. Yeah, uh, and then uh, in December, Christmas Day, is uh, a new movie with Hugh Jackman about P.T. Barnum called The Greatest Showman. Hmm. Um it looks grossly inaccurate, but a lot of fun. Um, and it's it's kind of in that transitional era. You know, P.T. Barnum was active, um, most active in, in what we call that transition era or the, ante, uh, the interbellum period um, between steam and diesel. Um, and so it's going to appeal to both sides of the fence. And then, have you guys seen the trailer for the new uh, Guillermo del Toro movie, Shape of Water? It looks incredible and terrifying no. and captivi- captivating all at the same time. Do you want to oh, do, do you want to go take a break and watch it and then come back? <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't that doesn't come out until December either. And 
but yeah, Larry, you need to see that trailer because, you know, Del Toro, he's another one I think is secretly one of us. Because you 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 look at his movies like Hellboy, and I was about Pacific to say, Rim, uh-huh. and Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, uh-huh. everything he does has a very diesel punk aesthetic to it. Right, and those are diesel punk movies. So yeah, yeah. Well, this one I think he out diesels his previous diesel. Um, the the aesthetics and the it looks like. The, the, the set of this laboratory, the, the, the idea that you get from the, the trailer is that they've captured this um, creature from the Black Lagoon kind of car- creature. Hmm. And the government is doing tests and studies on it. And there's this, this mute girl who is tasked with, like, cleaning the laboratory and maybe making sure that uh, yeah, the the creature is fed. I'm not exactly sure her full, but she ends up developing a relationship and and falling in love with basically the creature from the Black Lagoon, or if you've seen the Hellboy movies, uh, you know Abe Sapien. It, he has that very same similar look and style to him, and um, the set of the the laboratory looks like something out of the uh, movie Metropolis. It really um, does. It, it, it does have that sort of aesthetic to it where it's like, oh, my God, it's like it, it's it, it, it make it made me sit up and watch it. And it was like it's almost as it's almost as if Del Toro had, was able to tap into my nightmares as a child. And he's really sort of tapped in. The thing is, is that. I mean, not to bring up Mary Shelley. Every time I mention Mary Shelley, feel free to ring a bell or take a shot. Um, but the, th- the whole thing ab- about um, who's the monster? Like in, in the story of Frankenstein, who's the monster? Is it the creature of the creation or the doctor who created the monster? Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it, the, this creature. Or is, it, is, or is it the people that encounter him? Exactly. I mean, and with this with this shape of water, who's the who's who's the most terrifying creature in this in this movie? Is it this poor little water creature that looks savage, looks mean and nasty? Or is it the government officials experimenting on this poor creature? And it was that's the kind of thing that it's like. You, we need we need more of that to for us to sort of like dabble into what does it mean to be a human being? Yeah, and and so you know, the, I I say it every episode that this is a great time to be a fan of diesel punk because we've got so much media coming out, so many things coming out. Now, if we could just get one of these studios, just one. To use the term diesel punk in their description, um, it's starting to happen in comics. We're starting to see that term actually used in marketing. Um, in tabletop gaming, it's becoming more and more popular. Um, if you're familiar with the game Scythe, um, you know Jamie Stegmeier, um, He he's created. A diesel punk board game, and he has, you know, that's what he's calling it. Um, 
and and you know we're seeing that more and more in other forms of media but golly we just need one major hollywood studio to call a a new movie a diesel punk classic and uh, that that would do it i think yeah no i think that that's really sort of what we what we need but the thing is that it was just like I'm sort of like okay with them not using the word diesel punk that much because the thing is is that oh, what have we complained about in the past? Um, diesel punk misappropriation. I don't want. I don't want people. I want us to define if a movie is diesel punk or not. I feel a little bit that way, Eric. You know, I used to be really big on. You know, oh, if we could just make it big. Why can't we make it big where everybody knows diesel punk? And then I've kind of changed where I'm less concerned about that. Look at steampunk. Uh, there's a lot of those that are into steampunk. Back before, when you know, as you know, to paraphrase the country western song, they were steampunk before steampunk was cool. Okay, and they will tell you that it's not a good thing necessarily. Uh, so. Um, I'm not really that you know, that big on anymore on wide scale knowledge or stuff being called diesel punk. It's just not anymore. I don't think we want diesel punk to uh, jump the shark. Daisy, you're being very quiet again. What do you think about diesel punk going mainstream this week? Well, you know, a lot of people they don't know the term, but honestly, if you start using the label diesel punk then people are gonna start kind of i don't know because every, every time i have to explain diesel punk everyone goes oh you mean it's like steampunk but the thing with overusing a label is now if you search if like say you go on etsy everything is steampunk on etsy now this mm-hmm. use cheese grater it's steampunk mm-hmm. <laughs> it's steampunk so, I mean, the aesthetics, I think the aesthetics appeal to a lot of people. A lot more people are diesel punks that don't know the term. I'm agreeing with y'all on that point. They're diesel punks and they don't even know it. And I, th- I think that it's, it's our job to get everybody um, equated and associated with the word diesel punk. I don't, I, I, I don't want to leave it up to, say... 20th Century Fox or Warner Brothers or anybody else to sort of like, because you know what, you had your chance and you missed it and you blew it. And now that we've taken now that we've taken on the mantle, eh, you know what, you can help us out, but we don't want you to take over. And it's like I, I and I don't want the word diesel punk to be um, corp, um, incorporated or corporized or what's the word i'm looking for when trademark into just a trend you know right right like you don't want to go to well i mean i wouldn't mind going to michael's and seeing diesel punk craft items but you know (laughs) you know what diesel punk items are everywhere if you know how to look now i would like to have more variety in off the shelf and clothing so that would be good yeah uh but I, but no, I think uh, Daisy and I think you all, you have a good point. I think there's real risk of it being when it gets commodified, 
and corp and and the suits, which is funny because we are suits, aren't we? Uh, start taking over, um, but when the boardroom, let's say, starts to Madison Avenue starts taking over, then we're gonna we're gonna have some interesting conversations, and I'm it's gonna be I think it's gonna be what hap- How can you market punk? They tried and they failed and they ruined punk. That's, it's disaster. Not, that's right. it's everything that goes against punk. Marketing is everything punk is trying to go against. I mean, you can't really market it. That was one of the criticisms of um, uh, the band Green Day. Yes, was uh, that they were accused of selling out um, the punk community. That so. You know, I understand. I I can sometimes I get like Johnny. I get like um, you know, if people. You just don't know what you're missing if it just would just kind of take off. And then it's like, nah, I'm, you know, I, I'm happy to be the 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 one guy in the bar wearing a three piece suit when everybody else is in a national uniform. You know. There we go again with the national uniform. It's like somebody ring the bell, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, so anyway, one of the things I um, I think that we also wanted to bring up tonight. Um, I, I'm not sure if we lost Johnny or not. Um, no, I'm here. I've just been listening to you guys uh, talk through that. Uh, you may have you may have changed my mind on that. So uh, I'll uh, I'll get back with you. I'll have my people <laughs> call your people. <laughs> and, and we'll do lunch. Um, I, no, I, I don't. I don't think that we want Madison Avenue and the uh, corporate CEOs uh, over at Madison Avenue and um, uh, shareholders and 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 whatnot. I I don't think that we want to go public. I don't think we want Diesel Punk to go trading on the Nasdaq. Um, but speaking of of corporations and what and whatnot. Um, so I came up with this theory the 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 um, the other day um, or the other month, um, and it had occurred to me about why so many people like to say that all diesel punk has to be uh, dystopic, as mm. it were, if that's if that's a word I can use. And I think I think that I finally figured it out. It was just like, as punks, diesel punks, we like to rebel. And the, this entire conversation in the past uh, five or ten minutes has been about open rebellion against the establishment and the oligarchs who want to impose the national uniform upon everybody. You know, the American socialist um, uh, workers uniform. And um, and I, I think that that's the, I think that that's a that's a huge issue that we're we're dealing with is that we're fighting against the tide, and and what they're trying to do is is like sort of democratize fashion if that makes any sense. By the way, you know what? I just got this message here. Um, uh, Daisy, is there is there something that you wanted to bring up to the group before before you have to um, bolt early on tonight? Yeah, you know, we just. Uh we're having a little little trouble over here at the hangar, but it'll all get sorted out. Um, 
Well, I suppose I could talk about it a little tonight. Uh, yeah, no, no, we, we, we need to hear your thoughts <laughs> about the Tommy Gun dolls. The Tommy Gun dolls. Oh my goodness. Well, I have to I have to start by admitting something just a little embarrassing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a package in the mail. I had no idea what it was. <laughs> I, I remember looking at it, trying to figure out what it was, and then I opened it, and there it was in all its gorgeous, hardback, slick, full-color glory was the Tommy Gun Dolls Volume 1, The Big Knockover by Daniel Cooney. And now I... I have friends in the comics business. I know how much hard work and how much time goes into making comics. But to give you a an idea of um, how much we've known, how long we've known about this project, and how we've been waiting for it, I think you know if if you know whether I'm wrong or not, Johnny, you can jump in. But I think one of the first podcasts that I was on over Skype was one where we talked with Daniel about the Tommy Gun dolls. Didn't he join us for one of those ones back then? He did. Um, he was a guest on the show, and uh, he's going to be back with us, by the way, uh, in November. Oh, um, right. Good. But, uh, but he, uh, at that time, I had already known about the Tommy Gun Dolls since 2008. Oh, well, I got to tell he, you, this, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's been working on it for a long time. Well, you can tell. It is a labor of love. It is beautiful. We've been waiting on this one, and it was worth it. Um, the story, for those of you who haven't heard us talk about it before, I'll give you a very basic outline of the story. It follows a group of ragtag misfit girls, which that's that's one thing for me. Uh, a lot of them work in um, a lot of them work in this work in this nightclub. And they want to avenge the murder of a fellow burlesque dancer. And so they team up together and they go out to find answers and to get revenge. And brother, that right there is the kind of story you want to give me because I'm all about those gorgeous dames kicking butt and taking names. And um, the illustrations, the pictures are beautiful. The I got to give it up to comic artists because... Writing and drawing on their own are hard enough, but when you are making a graphic novel, you have to do both of that. You know, you not only have to write your story, but you have to tell, but you have to spend time working on the art to tell the story as well. You're telling the story two ways at once, and that's pretty amazing. But I, um, I like these gals, and I like that this is just volume one, which means hopefully we'll be seeing them again in the future. And uh, this is, uh, as I've said before, so far up my alley, it should have bought me a drink first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I love about that story, though, Daisy, is that you uh, pledged, because this was all funded on Kickstarter, uh -huh. and apparently you pledged to the Kickstarter and had completely forgotten about it. I, I guess I had. <laughs> you no, know? I see. Sometimes I love like, that though. I love that. Though, you know, I, I'm a fly. I fly. I have my head in the clouds. I'm a little airhead. 
Well, I um, yeah, <laughs> Daniel will uh, probably uh, curse me on this, but you know, I fell in love with this project in 2008, and I became one of his early evangelists for it. Um, you know, promoting it and just sharing the few sketches that he had done as concept art over the years and really poking and prodding him, you know, privately and publicly to get this thing done. And uh, when he launched the Kickstarter for it, I was uh, I was one of the first uh, couple, uh, you know, backers of it. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in this project. And you're right. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's everything diesel punks love about, uh, you know, storytelling and stories. But I got to ask this question, Daisy. Yeah. You know, have you found Big Daddy Cool in it yet? You know, I... Da- I Daniel swears it. to me, he swears to me uh-huh. that, that I make a cameo. I've been looking. I've been looking, and I have not found Big Daddy Cool yet, but I... I'm going to look again. I'm going to read it again just to see if I can find you. Now that I've absorbed the story and the characters, I can start looking in the background to see if I see you. Yeah, if you if you do, give me a heads up. I, I've not had a chance to, like, you know, uh, you know, dissect it. But I, I've looked. And uh, golly, you know, that was I guess that was his thank you to me for, for being such a stalwart supporter over the years. But, uh, yeah, it. It is a huge accomplishment, and you know Daniel. He he's a working artist in the field. He does the, uh, you know, the Star Wars tops trading cards, and he's done a lot of commercial work. But this is his first successful self-published uh, work. So uh, kudos to him, and and yep. it's uh, it's a. Uh, it's yeah, it's fantastic. If you're into diesel punk comics, graphic novels, you have got to get this and put it on your bookshelf. Or if you just like, or if you like looking at uh, pretty flapper gals and like to see them kick butt, this is good for you too. And who doesn't love that? Oh, oh, I don't know. Once you find well, them, let them know, and I better show them this. Well, Daisy, if you have to run early before you go, I I just want to let our audience know, speaking Mm -hmm. of watching and seeing beautiful kick-butt dames on stage, you and I are going to be teaming up again for ShadowCon in January. Yes, sir. I love ShadowCon. It is the, it is basically, uh, you know, the other conventions in Memphis, they're conventions but ShadowCon really it feels like a big uh just a big family reunion for all the geek types in the area so we're gonna have a blast yeah and and you and i are gonna be performing along with ginger oh snap on uh the friday night we're gonna do our our magic cabaret show and uh, i can't wait to hear you sing and play again well uh, i I've been working on a couple more, a couple different tunes, so I might bring something a little different to the stage this time. But uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. That'll be awesome. We'll talk more about that as we get closer. But uh, while Daisy was with us, I wanted to mention that. So, um, Larry, Eric, what what else you guys got on your plates? 
I think that one of the things that I wanted to bring up here in lieu of, uh, and I want to make absolutely, totally, perfectly clear, we're not going to get into the specifics of, of what's happened in Hollywood the past week or two. Because um, I, I don't want, first of all, I don't want this conversation to devolve. And, I, and the thing is, this podcast is supposed to be fun and whatnot. We'll take on serious issues and all like that. But I think that viewing what's happened in Hollywood in the past couple of weeks has led me to the decision that we have to support small indie film studios. And we have to put our money where our mouth is when it comes to when people make movies that we really have to see and they're low budget films or they're micro budget films and they're right up our alley. We should do everything that we can to support these people and take the power out of the power away from the power elite and the oligarchy in the media. And for, this is another perfect example of of this comic book, which is a labor of love. And I want it to have nothing but the greatest success. Um, and uh, I want to know, can you subscribe to this comic via um, uh, digital media. Can, can you get it online or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, it's available on Comixology, and, uh, or, uh, th- you may be able to download it in a different format right at tommygundalls.com. Um, but the best way to own it is in hardcover graphic novel form. And I'm going to buy my copy as soon as I'm, as soon as I'm done here, I'm actually, gonna, I'm, I'm going to buy a copy. Excellent. Yeah. You'll love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exact, and it's exactly what we need uh, for women of diesel punk. Um, we need more examples of strong, empowered women who, who do like to kick ass and take names. And I like the idea that women can be strong, beautiful, and intelligent and take care of their own. We need more of that. Absolutely, we do. Absolutely. Larry, what about you? Anything else uh, you wanted to uh, bring to the forefront? Well, not really, other than, you know, we need to remember history. And, you know, back uh, on October 17th, which is when we're recording this, everybody, uh, but back in 1931 on this date, um, Al Capone was convicted of tax evasion. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A banner day in, Yeah. Uh, and of in course, you know, industry. that gets makes me think of that great uh great movie and great T V series, The Untouchables. And uh, it was, you know what? I may have to go watch that tonight. I but I I mean, I'm telling you, this is the thirtieth anniversary of the Untouchables movie, which was released in nineteen eighty seven. Um and it, it, it Are you oh, kidding me? It's thirty years, Johnny. Thirty years. It's held up well. It's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was it was released um, June third, nineteen eighty seven, and I I'll tell you something. Like I I remember when I was on a road trip with my dad, and I saw um on on June third, I said, Dad, look, The Untouchables is playing at this theater. We pulled right in. It was a theater that we had never been to before. I don't think I could ever find it again. And we sat down and we watched it, and we loved every minute of it. And it was just like that was our thing. We would go and we would watch The Untouchables, you know, whenever we were on the road for a couple of months. 
it was it's an incredible it was an incredible film and it, mm. it I like um, like you guys said it, it holds up exceptionally well but um, I, I think that for me tax evasion you could only get Al Capone on tax tax <laughs> evasion yeah that amazing I you know and- and when you read how it really went down, of course, you know, we talk about movies taking liberties with the facts. Yeah. And that movie takes some real liberties with the facts. Um, it's, it's, it's actually quite amazing how, he, how they even got him on that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, – no, Larry, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, for me, I'm um, and I and I started a rant on the Fedora Chronicles about this very same topic. Um, what is it? there's something about Autumn that makes me um, really the biggest film noir fan out there for for these months. Um, and the thing is, is that when I run out of my stash of film noir, I, I sort of have to um, start mainlining true crime. Um, TV series and um, documentaries and stuff. And simultaneously on Netflix right now, there are two um, um, based based on a true story miniseries. One is called Manhunt Unabomber and the other one is called Mindhunt or Mindhunters. Mindhunters. Say that one, mm-hmm. you know, say that ten times less. And there's something <laughs> fascinating and so film noir-like about seeing men who are trying to get into the heads of criminal serial killers and but not fall into the trap of becoming just like the people that they're hunting getting into the mind of somebody does not mean letting them take over your mind and it's like that's that is just quintessential film noir going to the going to the dark side to figure out how the dark side thinks and then trying to fight your way out of the dark side to reclaim your humanity. Uh, those are two serious. That's that's my latest addiction right now. Um, well, you know, they, that's funny that you mentioned that because that is one of the themes of The Untouchables. Yes. You know, M- Malone taking Ness uh, over over the garden wall, if you will, to, to think like Capone thinks. Um. I hadn't really thought about that in, in the, those terms, but uh, absolutely, that, that is one of the themes. And you know what? Just to kind of bring this conversation full circle, I saw Untouchables in 1987 on a, on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock with me and um, my girlfriend at the time and my best friend Charlie and his girlfriend at the time. Um, and it was just the four of us in the theater, and that was it. And what a magical moment. Um, wh- you know, we've talked about this before for me, Eric. The Untouchables was one of the real defining moments that informed my personal aesthetic and style and really cemented me as a diesel punk before it was even a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I, re, I remember um, hunting down my first gray fedora to match um, a, a, um, a suit. Um, I uh, oh my god, it was it had peg legged and it was uh, double breasted, 
with a matching vest. And I thought I was the coolest cat in the neighborhood. And I think maybe I was. Yeah, I think maybe you were. Yeah, I, I would have to say, yeah. Big yes on that one. Big yes. Well, hey, guys and gals, it is uh, it is getting a little bit late. And um, we've had some fascinating discussion once again. A lot of cool stuff coming up. Again, I say it every week, and I mean it every time I say it. This is one of the best times to be a diesel punk. And it's only going to get better uh, as more... Uh, is more stuff happens and comes out and that we can talk about and fall in love with. And, um, I think there's a, a lot that we've wet the whistle of our, uh, or wet the appetite rather for our audience. And, and, uh, I can't wait to hear, uh, actual, uh, reactions on, uh, some of the things we've talked about blade runner Marston, professor Marston and the wonder woman and, uh, shape of water and Orient express and, you know, Eric, I can't wait until you read the Tommy Gun dolls. I think that's just going to – it just – it makes me want to do a dance. But I can't because I got this stupid foot injury. But we're not going to talk about that tonight. So unless there's anything else, I think we can uh, say goodnight. I can't think of anything else. Well, Larry, why don't you kick us off and uh, sign us out? All right. Well, uh, Johnny, this has been fantastic. It seems like it's been forever. Um, I tell you what, folks, um, you know, I always point out something at the end, which is to, uh, to check on your neighbors. And now that, uh, you know, they might not be talked about in the news, uh, but they're still suffering. Uh, the people down in Houston, people in Florida and Puerto Rico and the West Coast um, check on your neighbors you know uh, because you know take care of each other because that's what life is all about hello I Jack. am still here I had you on mute I was talking to you the entire time <laughs> and you didn't hear a word I said not a word my friend not a word well, Daisy had to sign off, so uh, Eric, you want to uh, go ahead and uh, say your farewells? Not not just my farewell, but a, a, a quick message and a quick antidote. Um, I don't know who it was. I want to attribute it to Ann Fleming or the writer of the, the book, uh, Being Bond. Um, every day you should go out and try something new that'll scare the crap out of you. And I did that today. I actually, like, I learned how to drive a forklift, of all things. And I was terrified and I was scared. And the amazing thing is, is that I actually moved some pallets around without killing anybody. No ambulances were, ne were needed or necessary. And I think that that's one of the things that life is really all about. Going out and taking a challenge, do something that scares the crap out of you, and master a skill... And while you're doing that, keep your chin up and your fedora on. Johnny? Outstanding. And as always, on behalf of uh, Daisy O'Dare, I will sign us out by saying once again, swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. 
Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk signing off. And keep your chins up and your fedoras on. Thank you.